Open your Bibles to uh, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Years ago, uh, when I first went to Japan, I shall never forget, uh, everything was so different. Uh, I remember landing in Tokyo and having no idea what to do. Uh, I had never been to a foreign country before except to Canada, and Canada is not really foreign, okay? <laughs> but I'd never been to a country like Japan or anything like that. And we were hoping we had all the papers right and all the things and so forth. And uh, we landed in Japan, and lo and behold, here are these people running every way, and they're talking, and you cannot understand one single word that they say, and it is as frustrating as you can possibly be. And uh, I looked around, and I only had one good feeling. And I looked around, and I was the tallest man there. Okay, and that's the first time that had ever happened in my life, okay? A lot of men, but I was the tallest man there. And we got through customs and started toward the hotel, and lo and behold, they were driving on the wrong side of the road. Fortunately, everybody else was driving on the wrong side of the road, okay? And it, it was a very frustrating thing, but we hadn't been there long until <clears throat> I began to notice that everybody in Japan... Uh, made a big deal about their name. And when they would tell you their name, many times they would take the, their finger in the palm of their hand, they'd write a Chinese character, which meant absolutely nothing to me. Or if they had a pencil, they might take it. But now, if you knew what the Chinese character was, you would have known not only what their name was, but you would have known what their name meant. And they would tell you the meaning of their name. Uh, many of them had to do with nature. For instance, somebody may be named Nakamuda. And Naka means middle, and Muda means village, the middle village. Or someone may be named Oyama, a short O, Oyama. And so that would be a small mountain. O means small, Yama means mountain. If it happened to be a long O, Oyama, then it would be a big mountain. And everybody would always tell you not only what their name was, but they would be sure that you understood what their name meant. And uh, after we had been in Japan for some time, uh, I began to wonder if my name had a meaning. Now, my name is Don Sisk. But when you go to Japan, they put your name in Japanese syllables. So in Japan, my name became Don Shisuku. So I began to wonder if Don Shisuku had a meaning. And I looked up the word Don, and I was a little bit embarrassed because the word Don means slow to learn or stupid. Okay, now... My parents did not know Japanese when they named me, okay? I think they'd about run out of names. I was the ninth of 11 children, okay? Uh, anyway, I thought, okay, that's bad, but I'm an adult. So nobody calls you by your first name after you get to be an adult in Japan. They call you by your last name. So no one would call me Don-san, but Shisuku-san. So I thought, okay, that's not bad. So maybe Shisuku has a better meaning. 
And I found out that shisuku is not a word, but it's two words. And the word she and the word suku. And I looked up the word she, and the word she means death. So I thought, I'm no better off. I'm stupid and dead. Amen. Reluctantly, I looked up the word suku, and the word suku is the root form of the verb which means salvation. For instance, if I was giving my testimony in Japanese, I would say, Suku is the root form of the verb for salvation. So when I tell people my name in Japan, I say, My name is Don Chisuku. I was stupid and dead, but now I'm saved. Amen. Uh, so that's a good testimony in, uh, uh, in English, too. Amen. And we were foolish. We were separated from God. But thank God when we trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, we're saved by the grace of God. You have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 15. And uh, I'm going to read just verses 10 and 11, okay? And by the way, I can't read John or... or, or uh, uh, John 15 without reading uh, verse 5. and doesn't have anything to do with my message, okay? But look at it anyway. I am the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Now listen to the next statement. For without me, you cannot do very much. Is that what your Bible says? If it is, you've got a very bad translation. Amen. <laughs> Let's look at it. For without me, you can do, say it with me. Nothing. For without me, you can do nothing. And every time I look at that verse, I, I have to realize, and uh, uh, many, many times I've been put in a position uh, where I realize that we are totally dependent on God. We are totally dependent on God. Without me, you can do nothing. Now look down at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word, the infallible, inspired, inerrant word of God, the Bible. And I thank you that you've told us in your word, when my word goes forth, it will not return to me void. In other words, you have a purpose, you have a reason for every word in the Bible. And I pray, dear Lord, that you will speak to our hearts today and help us not only to hear with our ears, but with our heart and would be obedient to whatever the Holy Spirit of God would say to us tonight. And we will promise you again tonight, as we've done hundreds of times, that whatever you do, we'll bow our heads, we'll bend our knees, and we'll give you all the honor and glory because you'll do it. In your name I pray, amen. I want you to notice particularly at verse 11. In verse 10, he talks about keeping the commandments. If you 
keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments. And by the way, when you read through the life of Christ in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will find out that Jesus Christ did everything that his Father told him to do. Uh, the first words that we find coming from his mouth. Now, it was not his first words. He was 12 years old. But it was this. Wished you not that I must be about my father's business. And he could say when it was all over, it is finished. I have done everything that my father sent me to do. I've kept my father's commandment. Then he said, look at, at verse 11, and this is what we want to think about tonight. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Now look what Jesus is saying. He's saying to his followers, and by the way, this was just before he was going to be crucified and buried and resurrected from the grave and go back to the Father and so forth. And he's saying to his disciples, I want the joy that I have to be in you. And then he said, and that your joy might be full. In other words, God is concerned not only that we do his will, that we be about his business and so forth, but that we do it joyfully. And I believe from the depth of my heart that the greatest advertisement for biblical Christianity is a joyful Christian. I've heard some people that just talked about how much they love the Lord and so on and so forth. And I often tell them, why don't you tell your face about it? Amen. God wants us to be joyful. And tonight, what I want to speak about is the joy of missions. Now, I'm going to make a confession before I start, okay? Uh, now, don't get too excited. It might not be as juicy as you think, okay? But when we first went to Japan, the first thing we had to do was enter language study. And um, when I went to Japan, one of my greatest fears were lear was learning the Japanese language. In fact, the first time I looked at a Japanese Bible, there was nothing in that Bible that resembled a word. And I looked at that, and all I could think of, I'd already made my commitment to go to Japan as a missionary, and I looked at that Bible, and I thought, dear God, I'm from Kentucky. We have a very difficult time with English. And you expect me to learn a language like this? And when I got to Japan and entered language school, about six weeks into language school, I got to thinking all of my fears were justified. In other words, it was just as difficult as I ever dreamed it would be. And we studied language from February till first of, middle of June. And then our language teacher said, we're taking a six weeks vacation. And I said, no, no, no. We don't want a vacation. We don't have any money to go on vacation. We, we don't have anything else to do. We want to keep studying lesson. And she said, I need a vacation. So we were left. And I could not, I didn't know enough to do anything. I'd give out a gospel track. 
And I would say, don't go to say, please read this. And they'd begin to talk and I had no idea what they were saying. Uh, we had, it was, Japan is very hot during the summertime. Not only hot, it is humid, you know. And, and they don't carry handkerchiefs to wipe sweat. They carry towels. And we were living in a house. We had no air conditioning. We didn't even have enough money to buy a fan. And here you are, you, you can't do anything. You lay in bed at night, you're sweating. You, you know, and I got so frustrated. And, and all of a sudden, I realized I had lost all of the joy that I had ever had. And I looked on my bookshelf, and I didn't take very many books to Japan. That was a mistake. We did the second time. Now, I looked on my bookshelf, and I pulled out a book, and the name of the book was How to Win Over Worry. I'd had that book for a couple of years, but I never read it. And I pulled that book off of the bookshelf, and I began to read it. And it was written by John Edmund Haggai, who was the pastor of Ninth and Old Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And I had bought the book when I went to a convention where he was preaching. And I began to read the book, and it was about Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And he went right down the line. In other words, we ought to rejoice about everything. Uh, we ought not to worry about anything. We ought to pray about everything. And the more I read that book, the more frustrated I got. And all I could think about was if I was still in Kentucky and if I had a big church like you have, the Ninth and Old Baptist Church, the largest church in Kentucky, and I drew the kind of salary that you had, I could write a book like this too. And I got frustrated reading the book on how to win over worry. Then I got to the ninth chapter in the book and it told about when his son was born and the doctors that delivered the baby was drinking heavily. And he put too much pressure on the child's brain, head and caused brain damage. And at the writing of that book, the child was 16 years old, could do absolutely nothing for himself. Either he or his wife had to do everything for him or somebody they had. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit of God got a hold of my heart. And I realized, hey, he did know what he was talking about. Not only that, the one that wrote Philippians was the Apostle Paul. And he certainly knew what he was talking about. He didn't write Philippians from the Holiday Inn. He wrote it from a prison cell. And then I realized, and the Holy Spirit of God knew what he was doing when he told Paul what to write. And on my knees, I confessed my sin of worry and not having the joy that I ought to have. And I determined I may never learn Japanese I may never win people to the Lord. I may never start a church, but it doesn't make any difference. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. And it literally changed my life. Now, Jesus said, I want you to have the kind of joy that I have. Okay. And I want your joy to be full. And by the way, he said, here's the way you do it. Just as I have kept my father's commandments, then you are to keep the commandments. Now, would you agree with me tonight that the Great Commission is a commandment? 
By the way, it's not a good suggestion. It is not a request. It is a mandate. It is God's command to us. And in all of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, we find him saying such things as this. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. That, my dear friend, is a mandate. That is a command. And when we hear a command, we're either obedient or disobedient. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature that repentance and remission sin should be preached in all nations beginning at Jerusalem. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. That's a command. Now think about it. When we obey the command of the Lord, when we are involved in world evangelization, which is God's command to his church, then I believe from the depth of my heart, it causes great joy. Now what happened? Someone hears a voice and obeys God and gives their life as a missionary. Then there are some people that pray. There are some people that give and it takes all of those things to get the missionary to the mission field. And when that happens, it causes great joy. Number one, it causes great joy to the recipients of the gospel. The people that hear the gospel. It causes great joy. And by the way, somebody has obeyed the Lord. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go forth? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And by the way, thank God that's still happening today. People are listening to God and they're saying, here am I, send me. And then it means that people must pray. It means that people must give. And when that happens, the missionary can go to the mission field. One of the first fields that BIMI had was the field of Nicaragua. Uh, Dr. Frank Rosser, uh, Dr. Bob Dayton, and a few others later went to the field of Nicaragua and they had some wonderful results. Uh, they wrote a little book one time about the early ministry in Nicaragua. And on one, in one chapter of the book, th there was a picture of an old witch doctor. And I looked at that picture, and it is grotesque looking. I think it's probably the ugliest person I've ever seen, you know. And I'm kind of expert on ugliness. I look in the mirror every day to shave, okay? But this man was very ugly. But guess what happened? That witch doctor heard the gospel. And he got saved. By the way, nobody is beyond the saving power of God, amen? That witch doctor got saved. Now on the next page, they had another picture of the witch doctor. Now he still wasn't handsome, okay? But the difference in his countenance was unbelievable. What happened? Somebody obeyed the command to go. Somebody gave. 
Somebody prayed. Somebody went. They preached the gospel. And he got saved. And because he got saved, he had great joy. I've been to some 80 different mission fields around the world. And, and everywhere I've gone, I've gone where missionaries are. And by the way, everywhere the missionaries go, and, and this is a promise from the word of God, if a missionary will go to a field and will be faithful to preach the word of God with a burdened heart, then God has promised souls. Now, in some areas, there are many people saved. In other people, places, there's only a few people saved. But that's the power of God. And the result is not dependent on the missionary, but it's depending on the soil where the seeds are planted. In fact, the Bible says, and every time I've ever signed a Bible or a book, I've signed this verse. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed. Now listen to the promise. Shall doubtless, without a shadow of a doubt, come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Now I could tell you a hundred stories. You don't want to listen to all of them tonight, okay? Uh, I, I remember the first time I went to the Philippines. I had a hard time getting to the place where I was going on Badonka Drive in Manila. Uh, there was a typhoon. I had to wait two days in the motel. And then finally I got a, a, a fellow with a, a little uh, a motorcycle with a sidecar on it. And, and I got him. I gave him the address. He said, I can take you there. And we went out there. And when we got near the place of the Bible college there and the house where the missionaries lived, the fellow driving the motorcycle, he got all excited. And uh, he said, standing out in front of that building, there was a man, a nice looking man. And the fellow said to me, Mr. Sis, do you know that man? I said, no, I don't know anybody in the Philippines. I know the missionary I'm coming to see. Other than that, I don't know anybody. He said, uh, that is one of the most famous movie stars in the Philippines. His name is Vic Endire. And so we got up there and he was all excited about getting to meet Vic and Dyer. And he said to this man, he said, Mr. Dyer, said, this is Don Sisk. He is a missionary from America. He's come to visit you. And he said to me, he said, this is the most famous movie star in the Philippines. And Vic and Dyer said to the young man, sir, I'm not a movie star. He said, a few months ago, I got saved. I'm a student here at the Bible college. I'm studying to be a preacher. And by the way, he had the joy of the Lord a whole lot more than he had when he was a movie star. Amen. That could go on and on. Number one, there is great joy on the part of the recipients of the gospel. I'll never forget a Shinto priest getting saved in Japan. His name was Yamashiro. His daughter had gotten saved and it took a long, long time and it was a long story. But eventually this Shinto priest and his wife began to come to Sydney Newtown Baptist Church. And one Sunday morning they came for about a month and we'd visit them. We'd try to teach them different things and so forth. But after about a month, they came forward and uh, Mr. Yamashita said to me, he said, teacher, we want to take your Jesus as our Savior. <laughs> and we took the Bible and showed them how they could know they were saved and going to heaven. 
and Mr. and Mrs. Yamashita trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. One full room. He was a Shinto priest. One full room in his house was given to idolatry. So about a week after getting saved, he said to me, teacher, I don't need these idols anymore. Why don't you come to my house and do whatever you want to with them? And that was good news to my ears. And I took my crowbar and my hammer and I knocked idols all over the place, tore down the idol shelves. We put them all in bags and so forth. And we took them to the church. And then on Sunday night after church, we went out to a field behind the building where we were meeting. And Mr. and Ms. Yamashito gave their testimonies. They poured kerosene on the idols and he took a match and lit them. And then one of the neighbors came by and he said to me, what are you Baptists doing now? And by the way, sometimes Baptists in strange countries do strange things. And I, you know, I, I was getting ready to say something and I didn't have to say a thing. Mr. Yamashita heard him. He, he said, we are burning these idols. I have served them all of my life. They have never done anything for me. I have found the true and living God. And this man, he became one of the most joyful Christians I've ever met in all my life. He lived to be 94 years old. And they told when I got news of his death, he was walking to church when he had a heart attack and passed away. I mean, the joy of the Lord. There is joy on the part of the recipients. Hey, by the way, when we go, when we give, when we pray, and someone gets to the mission field and preaches the gospel, not only is there joy on the part of the recipients of the gospel, but there's joy somewhere else. Open, turn your Bibles back a few pages uh, to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, you have three stories. Number one, you have a story about a lost sheep. And you remember the shepherd leaves the 90 and 9 in the place and they goes out and looking for that one lost sheep. And when he finds it, he puts it on his shoulders and he brings it back. And look what it says in verse 7. I say unto you that likewise there shall be joy in heaven. Now, notice this next statement. There shall be joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. In other words, when we obey the commands of God and we give and we pray and we go, regardless of which of those God wants you to do are all three of them that he wants you to do. And somebody gets saved. And by the way, it doesn't make any difference whether it's in Simcoe, Canada, or whether it's in New York City, or whether it's in Los Angeles, or whether it's in Tokyo, or Seoul, or Kathmandu, or wherever it may be. It doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference whether it's a man or a woman. It doesn't make any difference whether it's a child or an adult. When somebody gets saved anywhere in the world, it causes joy in heaven. Think about that. 
It causes joy in heaven. Down in verse 10, there's a woman that had a coin that got lost. And she ramsacks the house until she finds the coin. And finally, when she does, she gets all of her neighbors and they rejoice together. And verse 10 says, Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels. That doesn't mean just the angels are shouting and praising God. Amen. There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repented. Look at verse 24. The son took his money, wasted his substance, righteous living, all kind of wickedness and so forth. He returns and everything, you know, the father says, all right, put a robe on his back, put a finger on his, a ring on his finger, put shoes on his feet. You know, uh, my, my son was lost. Now he's found. Look at verse 24. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Joy, joy, joy. Think about it. When somebody gets saved, it causes great joy in heaven. Now, I don't know, you're probably a hockey fan. Uh, personally, my, my favorite sport is basketball. And my favorite team is University of Kentucky. And when University of Kentucky wins a basketball game, I kind of get excited. Uh, they've won a few national championships, and I really get excited then. But I've often thought, when they win a national championship, or somebody wins a World Series, or somebody wins a Super Bowl, or somebody wins a Stanley Cup, or whatever it is, people get all excited. But that does not face heaven one bit. But when one sinner anywhere in the world gets saved, heaven rejoices. So there is joy in heaven. About three weeks ago, I went out soul winning with Brother Jerry Furso. And he's my favorite soul winning partner. I love to go with Brother Jerry but he had a family and he said, this family, I, I, I've been there a couple of times, but I hadn't caught them home, but I, I know they're interested. And we went into this home and there was a man and his wife and three children. And we were there about an hour and a half, maybe a little longer than that. But the bottom line was all five of them got saved that day. <laughs> and I'm, I mean, they were crying and I, I never will forget the man. He kept saying, oh, thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. I knew I needed something. And I thought, man, we had a wonderful time. Amen. I mean, you know, we were rejoicing. But I was thinking, there is joy in heaven. Joy and think about it. When I give, when I pray, when I go, whatever God wants me to do, and I, I used to say, some can give, some can pray, some can go. But the bottom line is, all of us can give and all of us can go somewhere. Now, we might not go to the foreign mission field, but we can go across the street. We can go around town, wherever. All of us can go somewhere. And by the way, all of us can give. And when we do that, and it results in souls getting saved, it causes heaven to rejoice. You think about that. I can do something that will make heaven 
rejoice. And you can do something that will make heaven rejoice. So number one, obeying the command of God for world evangelization causes the recipients of the gospel to rejoice. And it causes heaven to rejoice. And guess what? It causes the people who are participating in it to rejoice. Turn your Bibles over to Philippians chapter 4 for just a minute. Philippians chapter 4. And Paul is writing to a church at Philippi. And by the way, he's writing to a church that supported missionaries. Remember the context, okay? And, and, and notice what he said in, in uh, uh, verse 14. Well, let's begin with verse 13, okay? He says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. He said, when I left Macedonia, and of course the church at Philippi was one of the Macedonian churches. None of the other churches there communicated, none of the other churches gave to my necessities and so forth. But then he says, for even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessities. In other words, the church at Philippi, time after time after time, they helped Paul financially. And notice what he says in verse 17. Not because I desire a gift. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm, I'm glad that you've done this. Not because I desire a gift. And then he said, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Isn't that something? You know what Paul said? Uh, when you sent your finances to me to help me, and when I preached the gospel and people got saved, then that was put on your account. Wow. Think about it. And... Uh, you think about all the missionaries that are supported by Bethel Baptist Church. And, and sometimes if we're not careful, we'll get a, a prayer letter and somebody will get saved in the Philippines, somebody will get saved in, in Japan, somebody will get saved in Korea, somebody will get saved in Mexico or, or, or Taiwan or, or wherever, in Africa, whatever. And sometimes we have the idea that's the result of our giving. But wait a minute. That's not just the results of your giving. That's the beginning of the results of your giving. Because some of them that get saved will become soul winners. And that'll be put to your account. And some of them will become missionaries. And that will be all of they, they win will be put to your account. And then the ones that they win will be put to your account. In other words, it don't stop growing till the end of the world. 
until it's all over. And then one day, thank God in heaven, we can all rejoice together. Amen. In other words, <clears throat> if you are where God wants you to be, and you're doing what God wants you to do, you're praying for missionaries, you're giving a mission. If that's what God wants you to do, if he does not want you to go to the mission field, then I believe at the judgment seat of Christ, your reward will be just as great as those who go to the mission field. You remember David when he and his men were going out to fight one time and they were with the Philistines and so forth and they, they were with the wrong group. And they finally one of the leaders said, no, 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 uh, you, you better go back. We're going to fight against Israel. So go back home. They went back to Ziklag. When they got back, the city had been burned and their wives had been taken, their children had been taken. And uh, after a long period, David and his men, they, they said, okay, we better go see if we can find them. And they did. But they got to a certain place called Basor, the Brook of Basor. And, and there, there were some of them that were just so worn out, they couldn't go any farther. Now, it didn't say they didn't want to or they wouldn't go any farther, but they said they could not go any farther. So, so the rest of them went, and, and you know the story. They, they got their wives, they got their children, they looted the place. And they're coming back and they get back to Basor. And some of the men that fought with David, they said, okay, uh, you fellas didn't go with us. So uh, uh, you, you can have your wives, you can have your children, but you can't have any of the loot. You remember David said, no, 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 wait a minute. We didn't win this victory. God gave us the victory. And then he said, as his part is that goeth to the battle, so shall his part be that stayeth by the stuff. In other words, we're all going to rejoice together. What a wonderful time. Heaven is going to be a wonderful thing when we can all rejoice together. Many, many years ago, the church we started was about two years old. And Ms. Yamashita said to me one morning after church, she said, teacher, my dad is coming to visit us next week. And she said, I don't think my dad's ever been to church. Since we've been saved, I sent him a New Testament. I sent him some gospel tracts. I don't know whether he's read any of them or not. And she had only been saved a few months herself. But she said, teacher, would you come and tell my dad about Jesus? And then she said something that thrilled my heart. She said, I believe if you would come and tell him, he'd get saved. I like that kind of confidence, amen? And uh, so I said, okay, Ms. Yamashita, when would you like for us to come? She said, he's coming on Thursday. And I said, okay, if it'd be okay. Brother Kate and I usually visit on Thursday night out here. We'll be glad to come Thursday night. She said, that'd be wonderful. And Kate took argued myself. We went to the Yamashita's house that day, and it was... Uh, a small apartment in a huge apartment building. And we went up there, and there was her dad, Mr. Kitanaka, and Brother Mijamashito, their daughter, Michiko, and Brother Kate and myself. And, you know, when you go into a Japanese home, you, you don't go directly to what you want to do. We sat there, we ate oranges, we drank green tea, and we talked about the weather and just go around the world. And finally, you get to where you want to go, Okay. And finally, I began to tell Mr. Kitanaka, and at that time, he was 76 years old. I thought he was an old man. He was 76 years old. 
And now I realize he was just in the prime of life. Amen. I was 32, so he looked old. And I began to tell Mr. Yama, Mr. Kitanaka about Jesus Christ. And from the time I started telling about Jesus, he never moved. He sat there. He listened with as much interest as I've ever seen anybody listening my whole life. And I began to tell Mr. Kitanaka the gospel. And I said, Mr. Kitanaka, according to the Bible, Jesus Christ didn't have any sins of his own. But when he died, he died the death of a sinner. He died on Calvary's cross. He took our sin. He paid our sin debt for it. And as best I could, I told Mr. Kitanaka about the vicarious suffering of Jesus Christ. And he sat there and looked at me. Never said anything except a one-syllable word. And the word, one-syllable word was height. And by the way, when you're talking to Japanese, if they're not saying height, they're not listening. And if they're talking to you and you're not saying height, they'll stop and say, are you listening? Height simply means I understand I'm listening. Then I told him about the significance of the burial of Jesus Christ. And again, height, height. Then I said to him, Mr. Kitanaka, on Sunday morning, they went out to look for the body of Jesus in that tomb. And he wasn't there. He had been resurrected from the grave. That's beautiful in any language. Amen. He had been resurrected from the grave. And when I said that, his eyes got glossy. He looked at me and he said, Sensei, Sensei, Suno Hanashiwa, Hontoriska, teacher, teacher. Are you telling me a real story? And I said, oh, yeah, it's real. I said, not only that, Mr. Kitanaka, Jesus is alive and he's right here with us tonight. And if you would be willing to confess that you're a sinner and trust him as your savior, you could be saved tonight. He died for you. He died for me. Now, never forget it. Him saying, and by the way, this is a very unusual story. I've dealt with Japanese for months because they would, before they would admit they were a sinner. But the first time he heard, he said this, teacher, do you think he'd save an old man like me? And I said, Mr. Kitanaka, I think you're just the kind he came to die for. And I led Mr. Kitanaka in the sinner's prayer that night and he asked Jesus Christ to be his Lord and Savior. And I looked up and big old tears were running down his old wrinkled cheeks. And you could tell that a big burden had been lifted to his heart. And Keita and Mr. Mishamashita and Mr. Kitanaka and myself, we all sang Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. <laughs> and I, none of us could sing very well, but it was sweet music in the ears of God. Last time I saw Mr. Kitanaka, I baptized him. He became a good friend. Last time I saw him, we were coming home. My mother was uh, dying with cancer. And we were coming home for a few months. And uh, I got to the church that day, parked my car. I looked out in front of the building where we were meeting. And Mr. Kitanaka was standing out there. As soon as I got out of the car, I looked over there and he began to bow. And of course, when he began to bow... 
I began to bow. You know, in Japan, we don't shake hands, we bow. And he bowed again, and I bowed again. And there's a knack to it. You bow a little bit less each time, okay? If you quit bowing too soon, you're very impolite. So we bowed and bowed and bowed. And when we got close to each other, we were upright. He put his hand on my shoulder, and I'll never forget it, Pastor. He said, Shishiku Sensei, Toy, toy, America, Karakurareta. Warine, yes, I'm needs to take. Oshieta, Kokorokara, Arigato, Yamashita. Teacher, teacher, you came a long way from America just to tell me about Jesus. From the depth of my heart, I want to thank you. And I thought that night, I've got to tell hundreds of Japanese about Jesus. We've seen a lot of them saved. But if that had been the only one that ever got saved, it would have been worth it all. We came home to America. I'd been home about six weeks. And I got a letter from Brother Ogawa, the interim pastor. And he said, teacher, the old G-san, the old granddad, he went to heaven the other day. Uh, Japanese don't like to talk about dying. They like to talk about going to heaven. I like that better myself. Amen. He said, the old G-san went to heaven the other day. I kept that letter for a long, long time. I was in the forest reserve where we were living there in, in uh, Illinois, northern Illinois. So I got that letter out one day and I was reading and I thought, when I get back to Japan, Mr. Kitanaka won't be there. We'd become good friends, but he won't be there. And then I got to thinking, I too one day am going to heaven. And one day in heaven, I'll be walking on those streets of gold. And I'll see a Japanese man that meet me. And guess what will happen? Soon as he sees me, he'll begin to bow. And I'll begin to bow. And we may bow for a thousand years, amen? And when we get close enough, he'll put his hand on my shoulder. And by the way, we'll all speak English then, Okay. May not be English, but we'll all speak the same language. Teacher, from the depth of my heart, I want to thank you for coming and tell me about Jesus. I don't know a whole lot about rewards and so forth. Okay, I, I know I can tell you all the crowns and all those things and so forth. But I guarantee you, that'll be a lot, enough to last for a long, long time. But I don't believe he stopped there. I believe he's already said to my mom and dad, thank you. For your son coming and telling me about Jesus. I think he said to those people in my sending church, Calvary Baptist Church, most of them are already in heaven. Thank you for sending the missionary to Japan. I think he'll go to every church member that was a member of a church that supported us in Japan. And he'll go to every one of them and say, Thank you for telling me about Jesus. Thank you for coming to Japan. And you said, but we didn't go. Oh, but you sent the missionary. You said, wait a minute, Tom. That, that'll take a long time, will it not? Time? We're in heaven. There's no watches there. And there are no clocks there. There's not even a calendar we're in eternity. And we'll have eternity 
to rejoice together. Look at it again. John chapter 15. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. And my dear friend, there is nothing that will bring more joy than to be involved in fulfilling the Great Commission. And that doesn't start way off somewhere. It starts wherever we are. Let's bow our heads for prayer tonight. And I'm going to ask our pastor to come and lead us in prayer. You think about it tonight. In your giving, in your praying, and as God leads you to go, then it is not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. There is great, great joy in serving the Lord.